Back in the 70s, the mantra for teens was peace and love. In the 80s, the mantra for most teen boys was skate or die. Flash forward 20 years, and what do our youths care about? What's the Wi-Fi password? Thank you for tuning into What's the Wi-Fi Password, a place where we have discussions about topics and issues that are relevant to the teens in our generation and how to point them towards the gospel. If you have any questions or would like to learn more about this podcast, please email Joshua Shively at joshuas at calvary.com. Okay. All right. I'm going to try to honor your Zal time. Um, I've been known to be a talker. So put up with me for a little bit. I appreciate it. If dogs, are, if uh, if God can speak through a donkey, He can definitely speak through me, a broken human being. So uh, I thank you all for your patience. Um, so as Josh said, I am in James five verses one through six. These are some pretty um, intense verses that uh, James kind of calls out the rich people. It's called it's called warning to the rich. Um, so real quick before we get into that, I would love to take five volunteers. Need five volunteers. One, two, three. Wait, was that Alan? Four, five. Okay, so Santi, Jenny, Chris, Daniel, and uh, Liam. I'll take wow. you. Wow. You're out of this. Okay, okay. Stand right next to me. Stand right next to me. Liam, I want you right over here. Right here. Okay. So. No volunteers ever get rewarded for coming up here. So I'm actually going to reward every one of you volunteers. Here's a dollar, Liam. Santi, there's five. <laughs> Jenny, there's ten. Chris, there's twenty. All right. Thank you guys for coming up. Thank you guys for coming up. Go sit back down. Keep it. Okay. I've always been that person in class that's like never liked to volunteer. I've always thought that was hard, so I thank you for your volunteers, Keanu. Let's talk after class. Um, okay, perfect. So I'm gonna actually just going to read these first six verses, and then I'll just pray for our night ahead. Um, so starting in verse 1, James chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are, that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last day. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. I'm going to use another word. It's called Seboeth. And we'll talk about that later. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Lord, we thank you for your word that you have spoken to us, no matter how harsh we think it is um, or how beautiful we think it is. Lord, this is, a, this is a message that 
may not touch us all, Lord, um, maybe not all of us having jobs or having a lot of wealth, Lord, but I pray that ultimately out of this, we see that nothing compares to you, Lord. I pray that I may decrease tonight so you may increase and your word can be spoken um, to these students who love you so much and who actively pursue you, Lord. Um, we just thank you for this time and this message that you're giving us. We love and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I know Josh last week kind of gave a pretty good message, kind of just maybe not a warning, but um, just the talk about kind of seeing, not seeing the future, but like predicting the future, acting on the future, thinking you know what your future is, right? Thinking what you know is going to come tomorrow, thinking about the plans that you have. Um, and kind of what James, what he finishes there in verse um, 4, so it's chapter 4, verse 16, it says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin, right? So that's kind of leading up to this, and then we just kind of get hammered, right? We get hammered with, you rich, weep and howl, right? It's kind of like, that kind of comes out of nowhere. But what James is kind of backpacking on, or piggybacking on, is this idea of independence from God rather than dependence, right? It's the idea of, of boasting about tomorrow, that you already know what's going to happen. Hey, I'm going to work at this job and I'm going to make this much money. I already know what's going to happen. It's the idea that you think you can live on your own and that God isn't sovereign enough to control your life. And so um, that's kind of the, the, the step that James is taking here. Um, and he kind of jumps back to chapter 2 um, and a little bit of verse 4 as we just talked about. But in chapter 2, verse 5, um, I'm oh, sorry, verse, yeah, verse 5, he says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Right? So we see that James has already kind of gone on this tangent of talking about wealthy and poor. And then we kind of get hit full boat with this in chapter 5. Um, so I'm going to read that again to you. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Um, I kind of want to talk about one of my questions was tonight. Is there like a defined line that you feel like there is between rich people, maybe middle class people and poor people? And I feel like scripture doesn't give you an exact. It's not like, hey, you own two cars, so you're rich. Or, hey, you own a house and you have a dog and a white picket fence, so you're rich. And it doesn't like $100,000 and that's like the, the threshold of being rich. Like the Bible doesn't give that line. So I kind of wanted to give you some examples that the Bible gives so we can kind of define for ourselves who is rich in the Bible and who is not, right? In a sense of wealth. We're all going to look at rich people, but who were loved by Jesus or God and who were not loved by Jesus or condemned by Jesus and condemned by God. So we're going to start with examples of characters in the Bible that were, um, I guess you would say, condemned. Uh, one would be Jesus, right? I mean, sorry, not Jesus, Judas. Judas was um, condemned um, by Jesus, as we know, right? He was the one that held all the wealth. He was one that held the money bag um, when Jesus ran around asking for offerings. We knew that, or we know that, because it says it in uh, John chapter 12, right? We read about kind of Judas's identity in that. Um, and we know about that because of the widow's offering with the, um, they call it perfume, right? When she breaks the bottle and she uh, puts it over Jesus. Um, and Judas says, why don't you sell that for money? And Jesus knew what was in Judas's heart there. He knew who he was. And so um, we see through scriptures, especially when you read in the Gospel of John, he always says, the one who's going to betray me, the one who is destined for doom, right? He's talking about Judas that whole time. He's talking about him, the one who was hiding from Jesus, hiding the wealth that he had stored up because of Jesus. He had made all that because of Jesus. And so Judas is a character that gets condemned for the wealth that he had. 
um, we see that actually multiple of Jesus' disciples were wealthy before they knew him. And yet Jesus says he loves those 11 disciples. And he says that he has a kingdom for them when he's in heaven. And we know that, that they're rich and that they have this kingdom because Jesus says so. Um, another good example is the rich man and Lazarus. I'm sure you guys, it's not really a parable, it's more of a story that Jesus gives in the book of Luke. And it's about this rich man who dies. So what happens is, kind of leading up to it, um, the rich man, um, he has this really nice place. It says he's clothed in fine linen, um, and that he eats and he drinks, and that there's a poor beggar with sores outside of his house named Lazarus. Um, and he begs for that food that can even come off the table from this rich man. And so uh, we see that when Jesus is telling the story that um, Lazarus is with Abraham, and that, um, Lazarus, or that the rich man calls up to Lazarus and says, hey, can you dip my tongue in that water to cool me off, right? Because he's in this hell, right? He's in this burning pit. Um, and Abraham says, no, no. You built up all your possessions on this earth while this poor man asked for something from you and you never gave it to him, so you can't. And then the rich man begs him and says, can you at least tell my family so they don't end up here? He says, no. He says, if they don't know by Moses and the prophets, they're not going to know now. And by us sending a dead person back isn't going to change their mind, right? So that's how kind of strictly Jesus portrays richness and not giving that away and how that can be condemned. Um, the last one that I'm sure uh, you all have probably heard of, it's in the book of Acts. Um, when Peter is going through collecting offerings, um, it's Ananias and Sapphira, um, and it's a husband and wife. And first off, they didn't even have to give. They didn't even have to give. Peter was not saying, you guys are required. You guys, I'm not asking for a tenth. It was kind of their own will to give. And this husband and wife said they sold their land um, to give to Peter. But really, and it says in Acts chapter 5, that they held some of that back. The husband hid that away from Peter. And Peter says, he calls him out right away. He says, you didn't give me all that. You didn't give me all you sold that land for. And he says, yes, I did. And what happens next? He dies. He takes his last breath and he passes out. And then his wife comes in. It says, I think, three hours later. And the same thing happens to her when Peter asks, is this all your land? Is this all the money you got from your land? And she says, yes. And so it's that idea, right? All these three are condemned from what they hid, right? From what they hid and what they kept from themselves. And those are the ones who are condemned. Um, examples of rich people in the Bible now, kind of on that Sad note, kind of uh, one that we all know of is King Solomon, right? Um, and King Solomon, you read in 1 Kings, right? If you're ever wondering where he got his wisdom, um, which is what he asked for, you find that in 1 Kings chapter 3, um, and he comes before God. It's in a dream, and he says, um, God, I want to learn how to rule my people better. I want to know how to lead them, and I want to know how to grow Jerusalem in this place that you have given me reign over. And what God comes back and says to him is, says, I will give that to you. And he says, I thank you that you did not ask for riches and that you did not ask for the lives of the enemies and that you did not ask for a long life. And so because Solomon did not ask for that stuff, he gave him wisdom and then he gave him all that stuff on top of it, right? So King Solomon, his heart was in the right place when he said, I want your wisdom, God. I want the wisdom that you give. And we know that Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. And he also wrote the end of Ecclesiastes too, right? When he was interviewing the teacher and him. Um, so we see those, those correlations that we get from Solomon and the beauty that God sees when people ask for wisdom and nothing but that. He gives else. He gives other things, right? We see that in Job. In Job, the third verse of the whole chapter, he says, 
or yeah, God says that he sees Job as righteous. There's not many people in the Bible that God sees as righteous, but he saw Job as righteous. And then it also goes on to say that he was the wealthiest of his time, right? He was one of the wealthiest. So God saw him as righteous, and also he was wealthy too. And we see Job goes through the trial, right, where the devil comes and takes all away. All he has is family, his land, his crops, everything. And then what he does is when he holds fast to that trial, he comes back, God gives him double of that. Right? So it's that idea of holding fast in God, that you're giving all that you have to God. God loves that. That's what he looks for. That's what he longs for. And the same kind of goes with the rich young ruler. We see this story that's talked about, and everybody sees this rich young ruler. We all know the story for it's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle. Right? We've all heard that. We all know that. But we don't read about is there's I think there's three different variations in the gospel. And in the book of Mark, when Jesus is talking to this person, it says, yet he loved him. Right. So he loved this rich young ruler who came to him and said, I've done all these commandments. I've done all these things in your name. But yet he didn't give what Jesus asked him to do. And that was sell all your possessions and give to the poor. But yet Jesus still loved this man for what he had done. Right. And then Jesus goes on in that emotional state and says that about how rich people can into the kingdom of heaven. So know that it's not a sin to be rich. I want to put that out there now. It's not a sin to be rich. But Paul says in 1 Timothy that money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? So it's that idea of money is more important than these other things, and especially Jesus. Um, I know, I kind of want to touch on this real quick too, just because I love how um, kind of strong... James uses his wording, and it's a lot of like Old Testament-like. So in Isaiah 13, right, you, you see the word, come now, you rich, weep and howl. It's almost kind of used to scare people. In my opinion, everybody, everybody's their own, but I'm kind of a scare tactics person. We're reading this, it's like, okay, what is Jesus trying to tell me right now? Um, and in Isaiah 13, when God is talking to Isaiah about the destruction of Babylon, he uses this. He says, wail for the day of the Lord is near. And then he goes on to say that, and I'll talk about it a little bit later too. He says that their faces will be aflame, right? So he's talking about their destruction, and he uses this verbiage that is so harsh and so, just so angry, it seems like. Um, but it's to show, like, how much passion that they see in this and how much money and these other possessions can take over your life. We also read in the book um, Hosea, um, chapter 7, uh, talking about Jerusalem and kind of their adultery to him, how they're worshiping other gods. It says, Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, because they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. They do not cry from the heart, but they wail upon their beds. For grain and wine, they gash themselves, they rebel against me. Right? So it's wine and grain that they found themselves entangled in. Right? Both material things, both things that they needed when they were not seeking God. They wailed upon their beds. Um, so I love kind of the verbiage that James uses here. Even though it's a little bit harsh, I think it fits well with this passage and the warning against rich rulers. Um, all right, I have five volunteers. I need you back up here. Where's Just one dollar. He's got one dollar. That's okay. Liam, we need you back up here. Bring my dollar? Yeah, bring your dollar, please. Okay. <laughs> Zaniel, did you leave it in your... You left it in your Bible? You already spent it. <laughs> you 
Okay. Thank you all for volunteering. I really do appreciate it. Now I need you to give that away. Don't give it to me. Okay, sorry to ruin it for everybody, but I'm gonna need that back at the end of the day. I'm gonna need that back. Hey, Josh, you need that hundred dollars back. Meg's gonna be very upset if she doesn't get that money. No, so the point behind that, right? And Daniel, I don't know how you were feeling, uh, Jenny and, and Santi and Chris, but it's like for those who had more money, was it a little bit harder to give it away? No. Chris, yeah. It was a little bit harder to give it away, right? Liam, I'm sure it's easy for you to give away a dollar. You're just like, you're reading, take it back. You almost threw it at me. You're like, yeah, take it. <laughs> I don't need this. I, I told him to thank Caleb for the hundred dollars. Yeah, I didn't do that. You want to give it back? I thought it would be. I thought it'd look a little too suspicious. Like Caleb, come on in here. I didn't want to do that. So. But the, the point of that is to show, like, the more you're given, sometimes the harder it is to give it away. Mm-hmm. That was Daniel. I shouldn't have picked him to do for the $100 because he was like, I don't want this. I want to give it back. <laughs> Any other kid would have taken it and ran. So thank you for doing that. But the point is, the more that you're given, sometimes the harder it is to give that away. And that's the exact opposite of what James is trying to tell us here. James is saying, the more that is given to you, give more away. That's his whole thing is, I give you life. I give you Jesus. He gives us life. He gives us exactly what we need. We are rich in the knowledge that he gives us and rich in the life, the eternal life that he gives us. And whatever comes along with that, he wants us to use that as living sacrifices. Romans 12 says, use your body as living sacrifices, right? I'm going to make the jump and say, that's your possessions too. He wants all of that. He wants all of you to be able to give that away and not hold on to things that are earthly. I think of kind of like a, a scale, right? Um, and in 1 John, which is kind of what, obviously what Nate's talking about too, I was reading a little Bible commentary about uh, Nate Guzik, right? And he talked about how on earth, the more we possess on the earth, the less we possess in heaven, right? So it's this idea of the scale. So it's like if the more we're possessing on this earth, right, it's going to weigh the scale down and less we're bringing up to heaven. And it should be the exact opposite. We should be pursuing that eternal life. It's like that idea of a rope. Right? Think of a 50-foot rope that we have right here, and there's a little red handle on the end. It's like we're so worried about what happens in here. This is our lifespan, and we're not worried about what happens on the other 50 feet, and that's our eternity. That's our life. That's what's going to happen after here. We're so worried about what happens here rather than we should be worried about what happens here. And what Jesus wants is he wants that, he wants that 50 feet of rope with you. He wants that eternity with you, but he wants what comes with it. That's your possessions. That's your time. That's who you are. That's where our identity is. Um, so we'll find, uh, we'll keep going on here. In uh, uh, verse 2 here, it says, Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in your last day. That's pretty hard. That's pretty visual, too. That's, a, that's like a good physical representation of what your physical things will happen to you when you die. Um, I think a better way to put it, I was reading a little commentary about this, it's our food will be rotted, right? We know that food expires. Um, Our clothes will be moth-eaten. We know that, I mean, Meg and I, we live in a place where right now we have a little bit of mold. So we know that 
clothes don't last for forever. Um, and then um, it says, and our money will be corroded, right? So our money, it's fleeting when we're gone. Um, I think, uh, I think it's, Paul says it in 1 Timothy. It says, whatever you enter the world with, you won't come back out with. Right? So it's both, both things. You come in with nothing, you're going to leave with nothing. So it's like, why are, we, why are we putting our minds on these physical, material needs that do nothing for our eternity in heaven? Um, I have a few kind of proverbs here that I kind of want to jump into real quick. I'm going to flip to them um, just because I feel like James in this message, he's not talking about just your physical stuff, right? We all know that physical things fleet. We all know that food gets mold. We know these things, right? But how about our minds? What does this do to our minds? Um, and that's why I'm going to jump to Proverbs here. Um, I have Proverbs 23 verses uh, 4 to 5. It says... Um, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Or we get Proverbs 28, verses 20 through 22. That says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good. But for a piece of bread, a man will do wrong. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know what, or not know that poverty will come upon him. And then the last one, Proverbs 15, verse 27. It says, whoever is greedy for unjust gains troubles um, in his household, but he who hates bribes will live. So what are we greedy for? What are we wanting money for? I feel like that's why some women like these these books are so proverbs are so like beautiful in that sense is it gives us this picture right of these like problems that we do have on earth these these desires these passions that we have for money and cars and a nice house and a nice dog and a nice yard and all these things um but it paints a clear picture on what that does to us and what that does to us on the inside i think ecclesiastes 5 um says, and this is Solomon writing in Ecclesiastes that said, money is nothing. Money is meaningless. It says, I have stored up all this wealth and I have now found out it is meaningless. So this is Solomon who had, who we think and who we see of as everything. He had a title. He was a leader. He had money. Um, he had lots of concubines. He had lots of wives. And so as like a worldly standard, people probably see this and like, man, King Solomon was doing great for himself. But look what he says. He says, this was all meaningless. None of this meant anything except for the wisdom that I got from God. Um, and so I see that, like, if we allow our minds to change, as it says in Proverbs, it's like an eagle that flies away, right? It's there and it's gone. So we have to make sure we're keeping our minds, we're allowing our minds to be renewed by our scripture and by what we're reading. Um, one of my favorite parables that I especially love um, for this is the rich, uh, the rich fool. What I really like about this is I think it paints a pretty good picture as to what Jesus sees as being rich. Kind of what crosses the line. Uh, It's in Luke chapter 15. For all those who have a Bible, I'd actually love for you to go there. It's Luke chapter chapter 12, I'm sorry, verses 15 to 21. I'll read it here. It says in verse 15, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness 
For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful, or plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, um, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Right? So look what he says. And God doesn't say, You fool, right after he was given all these crops. He doesn't say, You fool, when he saw he had access of, of all these things. He said, You fool, after he decided what to do with them. Tear down his barn. Dig a newer, or build a newer one, a bigger one, and relax and drink. What does God say? I will have your soul tonight. Right? If anybody knows about um, God's sovereignty, it's this man, and it's also King Nebuchadnezzar. I think you read in Daniel um, chapter 5, he's walking on a rooftop one day, and then, and then I think that night, he's eating grass in the field like an ox, right? And God did that to humble him. He did that to show him who he really was. And he ate grass for seven years. King Nebuchadnezzar did. Ate grass for seven years until God brought him back into that same position. And so it's like, I think we understand like God's sovereignty and what he sees when we feel like we have an access or excess of things. We want to hold on to these things to store up for later. I think that's a big picture now. That's why I love that parable for this. It's what are you all storing up, right? I think one of the questions I ask is, what are you holding on to you feel like you can't give away. That's right. It's, Jesus wants that everything. He wants everything from you, even that thing that you're holding on to. Um, I had a few other, um, a few other ones, because just because for me, and I hope you all are the same way. I always go back to what Jesus has to say in the Bible. It's like whatever I say and whatever I'm telling you up here, you guys can take it all with a grain of salt. But anything that comes from Scripture, I hope you all are listening to that, because that's where the truth is. That's where the beauty lies. Um, So we read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, to kind of echo on that last. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it's that idea of, okay, where is your heart at? And we know, I love this other parable too, in Matthew chapter 13, it's the hidden treasure. That man who sells all he has because he found that treasure in that field and he sold all he had to buy that land where that treasure is. That's where our treasure should be, is where Jesus is. Jesus is that treasure. He's the one that, that's where our heart should be. That's where our mind should be. And I know, I'm going to stand up here and let me tell you something. It is hard for me to wake up and read. It's hard for me to be praying. It's hard for me to pray about others. It's hard for me to pray about this life group or this, this youth group, I mean. It's hard for me to be doing these things. And I can come up here and I can preach and I can tell you these things, but it means nothing if I can't do it. Um, but that's why, for me, it's so important to be in prayer. You can see God's glory if you're in prayer, right? If I'm praying for Santiago and I'm praying for him about school and I hear he's doing well, if I'm not praying for him, I can't see God's glory work through him. And that's something that we can't be blind to. Because we are his children. He wants us to see him. And I think in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 8, it's there are 3, I'm going to get it wrong, but it says, 
Do you want to know how you're known by God? If you love God. So that idea, if we love God, we are known by the one who created these chairs, who created this room. He created each every one of us. He created outside. He created all the things that we see as beauty. He created all that. And so if you know that and understand your identity in that, there's so much beauty to go along with that. Um, Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 33 says, Sell all your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old. This kind of reminds you, this brings you back to what James says. And clearly James didn't think of this on his own. He got this from Jesus, right? We see Jesus use the same moth-eaten phrase. Uh, We see this, that he got all what he said from Jesus. This is just an echo of what Jesus had to say. Um, I'll jump into verse uh, verse 4 here. Um, Behold, the wages of laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So I'm first going to jump to what God does for people that cry out to him. We have to remember this, that if we are ever in a struggle or a battle or something that is hard, I know sometimes praying is very difficult. It's difficult to turn to God and say, God, I need you to take this situation over. What can I do? Give me guidance. Give me a path. Give me some kind of clarity. I know that can be tough, right? But David writes about this. It's his last psalm that he's known to write. It says it in 2 Samuel, I think it's 2 Samuel 25, and it's actually the same in Psalm 18. And what it says is, it's this visual kind of picture of what God does for us. It's he separates the clouds. He comes down on this chariot of fire. He hears our cries. He does this thing when we, he does this when we cry out to him. And we have to remember that if we are children of God, he hears us. When we ask for a loaf of bread, is he going to give us a rock? It's like, it's that picture, that, that picture that Jesus tells us, it's like, God's not going to do this when he knows what we need. Ultimately, we're broken human beings. We don't know exactly what we need, but God does. Later on in that psalm, in uh, I think it's verse 16, it says, The way of the Lord is perfect, right? So David knew his identity. He knew that when he cried out, God would come for him. And he knew that no matter what the result was, it was perfect because it was God's way. It was God's plan. It was his path that he wanted to be a part of. I think in uh, Psalm 27, chapter 4, it says, Um, I want to dwell in the house for the rest of the days of my life, right? David knew where he needed to be. He knew where his identity was. And there's so much beauty in that. He wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord. That's where he wanted to be. Um, To kind of, oh yeah, the last thing I want to talk about is, so different translation, this is kind of a little geek thing. Um, But the Lord of hosts is also translated as the Lord of Sabaoth, right? It's one letter away from the Lord of Sabbath. But there's actually two different meanings. Um, Jesus, or God is referred to the Lord of the Sabbath multiple times in the Old Testament, but never really referred to as the Lord of Sabaoth. What the Lord of Sabaoth translates to is the king of the army, right? So if we cry out to God, just think if you're a rich person and you read this and you do feel condemned by it, you are ultimately going against somebody who's the king of all armies. Mm-hmm. Do you think you stand a chance? Probably not. And that's why I, I know I don't. I know I don't. Um, but I think that's a beautiful way to put it by James. It's like, look, you don't know who you're in the presence of. You don't know that you're in the presence of God, somebody who has your life, right? And I don't think there's anything more beautiful than that. Um, 
to kind of sum that up, I had a few application points. Um, one being, it's really simple, is God is in control. God is sovereign. I use those examples uh, with the rich fool who stored up and made a new barn, King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, I think we talked about earlier in James, right, that every good gift is from above, right? Every good gift isn't from what I do on this earth. It's not by Reed or whoever. Every good gift is from above. And I love the way that John the Baptist put it. And if you all want to star a verse, this has always been one that I go to. I think it's uh, John 3, like verse 45 or something like that. Um, and it's, uh, a man cannot receive one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Right, so it's that idea of, as human beings, the things we get, they are only given to us from heaven. They're not anything we've earned. And the beauty of that is that takes away our whole idea of work salvation. And that's something that I've struggled with for forever. It's like, I want to stand up here, and I want to give a message to high schoolers so God can see me as this more spiritual person. But really, that's not it. I'm standing up here because of the joy that God has given me by allowing me to have this new life in Him, to allow me to... Think about that 50-foot of rope and be like, that's where I'm going to spend the rest of my life with no pain, no suffering, but with Jesus. And I read his word and I'm like, how can you fall away from that word? And I struggle with that. I do. Because a lot of times where I have that mental battle is, why do I walk away from this sometimes? Why do I look in the mirror and forget what I'm looking like later? But there's so much beauty in that. There's so much beauty that we can get from that. And I hope for you guys that you find your identity in Jesus, right? So I hope you know that God is ultimately in control. My last kind of point, there's only really two points. Um, it's a really simple one, just like the other one, but it's Jesus is everything. These verses are hard for you all. I get it. You guys are high schoolers. There's probably a handful of you that have jobs, right? Caleb just worked his butt off so he could buy a new phone. That's awesome, right? That's great. I love that. He worked hard for something that he wanted, and there's nothing wrong with that. He worked for that. He worked for that. And I know it's tough maybe for some of you other guys who maybe can't even have a job, right? I know 15, sometimes it's tough. So these verses are tough because you're like, why am I listening to this? I'm not rich. I don't know anybody that's rich. I don't have a lot of wealth. I don't have to deal with this. But you do, right? You're wealthy in knowledge. I love the way that Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 6.10. He says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing but possessing everything. Right? He's talking about his ministry. He's talking about what Jesus has given him. I think I kind of want to end it on this note here. There's a few other scriptures that I have, but I'll, I'll let it be. But do you all know the widow's offering, right? What Jesus saw with the widow. And you see that Jesus, when he tells this story, that these rich people are coming in, they're giving more than 10%. They're giving, you know, a lot. And Jesus sees all that. And then a widow comes in and says, she gives two small copper coins. And he says, yet today, like, she is the most exalted of any of these. It's because she gave everything. The others gave out of their abundance. She gave out of what she had. And so for you all, you all may not have a lot of money. You may not have a lot of material goods. But you have time. You have your mind. You have your body. You have, you're there. You can be there for people who are hurting, people who don't know Jesus. And that's what Jesus is asking you to do. And I feel like that's what he's calling you all to do through scripture is, hey, you may not have money to be able to donate, but you have your time. You have your time in prayer in the morning. You have your time reading. You have your time in fellowship with other brothers and sisters. You have time with your parents. You have time being this idea of this, this disciple of Jesus in front of other people. You have your time. 
And so I encourage you guys to spend your time where not right word isn't correct, but just eternally with that kingdom mindset, right? Give all you have to find that treasure. Give all your time to find that treasure that we find in Jesus. Honestly, if I, I, if I could go back, which I, I, this is one of those hypothetical things. If I could go back, I would love to be in your guys' shoes. I would love it. In high school, I wasn't even thinking about Jesus. I wasn't even thinking about going to, I wasn't even thinking about any of this. So for you all to be able to sit here and learn about so much wisdom and be taught so much about what life eternally looks like in your identity in Jesus, that's incredible. And I hope you all will see in three or four years how beautiful these times were that you were here. And I know that Josh has been pouring into you and Erica and all these leaders, they've been pouring into you. And I hope you see that as an eternal mindset that, look, these people do care about you. They do want you to spend your time well. They do want you. I want to see Santi and Jamie and Chris and August. I want to see all you guys in heaven. Right? I want to be, what is it, the 99 sheep that rejoice over the one sheep that was lost. I want to be in that rejoicing state with you all. And I know our other leaders do. So please, if you have any questions about this message or any questions about the Bible, please come to us. We don't know everything, but we know Jesus. And you all know Jesus. And that's the most important thing that you can ever take away from this room. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, let's pray. Lord, um, we thank you that you are our everything, Lord. Um, we do thank you for the things that you have given us, whether it's eyes to see, a tongue to speak, um, even ears to listen, Lord. We thank you for all these things that we take granted of every day, uh, Lord. Even reading this passage, we, we hear about these rich people, Lord, and that may not be us today, but Lord, we want to be rich in you. And Lord, I pray for discernment. I pray for a clear path in what it means to be rich in you. If we don't know what that means today, Lord, I pray that we find what that means in you, Lord. And I pray we find that in your scripture and what you have to tell us through your word, Lord. I pray for every one of these students who is here tonight, Lord, that they understand that walking out this door, it's not just a high, it's not just a feeling, Lord, but it's a daily devotion, a daily walk that we have with you. It's not going to change overnight. We're not going to know the Bible at the end of the night. We're not going to want to pray for multiple hours on end just in one day, Lord. But we pray, just as you say in 2 Corinthians, that it's day by day we are renewed in you. It's a day by day walk with you, Lord. And we thank you that we walk with nobody other than you, Lord. You are our everything, Lord. And I pray that we see that more and more. Me, Josh, Erica, our leaders, these students, we see that every day that you are everything. Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Calvary Monterey's youth ministries meet on Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Monterey. Both middle school and high school students are welcome. Come on out. You belong here. And I promise, we don't bite.